Hello and welcome to Conversations On, where the YMCA of the North engages with local and national leaders about their experiences, their insights, and their aspirations. I'm Rashini Rajkumar. Today, CEO Glenn Gunderson gets to know Alex Rodriguez, the former pro baseball player, businessman, and now driving force behind the Minnesota Timberwolves. Find out how life lessons for the first Latino owner in the NBA shape his outlook for building a successful team. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's just an awesome pleasure to connect with you. And you got to tell me a little bit about that trophy behind you. Well, I mean, look, I played for 25 years and it's the only one I have. So is uh, you, you have my two daughters, Natasha and Ella, 17 and 13. Uh, and then uh, 2009, the big trophy, which is uh, awesome. Yeah, not bad. You know, not a lot of us get to hang out with one of those, even one. So well done, my man. Well done. What an incredible career. You know, I would love to start with my favorite NBA team, the Timberwolves. So you might have a little something to say about them. And then we'll get into some other subjects around race and our community and where things are going in Minneapolis. But what um, what led you to the Timberwolves and talk about this run they're on? This has been exciting for a born and bred Timberwolves basketball fan. Yeah, look, we're very fortunate. I think Mark and I uh, took a good run at the Mets and uh, learned a lot in the process and uh, a very humbling experience. And we lost to uh, a much wealthier man, right? Uh, Steve Cohen, who was a light like me, was a lifetime uh, Mets fan, wanted at the team a little bit more than us and uh, can write one check. So in that process, uh, we really got educated with a lot of the nuances of sports uh, at the business level. Obviously, I played for 25 years. Um, so we were, you know, really down about it. And, uh, when the opportunity came and the phone call came up by the Timberwolves, we looked at, uh, the metrics and we looked at the NBA, we looked at the global landscape of the league, uh, tremendous leadership with Adam Silver and Minnesota is always a town that I've always enjoyed coming to for the last 25 years. I've invested in Minnesota real estate starting, you know, 20 years ago with a, with a hotel in downtown and, uh, over the last three years, we've, we've uh, acquired about a thousand multifamily apartment units as Minnesota is one of the greatest apartment uh, markets in the country. And uh, here we are. When the opportunity came, it took us seven months or so to lose the Mets. And in about seven days, Mark and I, uh, in the back of the envelope, uh, got a deal done with uh, Glenn and Becky Taylor. Fantastic. Well, we're excited about the future of the team, certainly in this market. And and right now it looks promising that, that we're on our way to at least some playoff activity. So we're we're all loving that up here in Minneapolis. So talk about if you maybe take us back, you know, talk about your childhood. You know, what was it like? You uh, grew up for a little while in New York, spent some time in the Dominican, uh, found baseball early. Your pop could play. Right. He could really play. So yeah. talk about finding baseball and uh, what was up? What was your upbringing like? Yeah, look, I, I'm a you know first generation Dominican, born in New York City. Uh, both of my parents, they can both play. You know, my dad was a, a baseball player and uh, was really good with numbers, an entrepreneur. Um, my first taste of business was uh, we owned our own apartment in our own apartment in Washington Heights, um, a shoe store, and he was one of the best shoe salesmen around. He was known for being like the human calculator. He never, obviously, we didn't have iPhones. We could just you know dial it up with a he did everything in his head and and he loved baseball and he loved the Yankees and the Mets. And uh, ever since I can remember, ever since I was 10 years old, I've always wanted to do two things, baseball and business. And, and my mother, of course, uh, you know, very strong lady, 
uh, worked in General Motors for a long time. And then my father ended up leaving, uh, leaving us when I was 10. And we were in Miami at the time. He really didn't find his footing in Miami. I wanted to get back to New York. And uh, my mom and I and my two siblings stayed in Miami. My mom at that time took the bull by the horn, uh, took on two jobs. Uh, she was a secretary in the morning and served tables at night at a little Cuban restaurant called Latin America. It's still there. And uh, many nights after the Boys and Girls Club, I would be dropped off and my mother and I would um, would drive home together. Yeah, incredible. So at age 10, is that when you started picking up baseball? No, I started picking up baseball when I was probably in Pampers. I mean, I remember <laughs> uh, my mom and dad would tell the story that I would walk around with a big red bat, the plastic ones with the big heads. And I would just, you know, knock lamps down and uh, was quite a chaotic troublemaker at the house. But I was always really active. I had these rubber balls and I would always throw them against the wall. And, you know, today kids are so much more into like esports and like just gaming. Uh, you know, Glenn, when you and I grew up, it was all about going outside and you never wanted to come inside the house. When our parents punished us, they said, you got to come in the house and you're not going out the whole weekend. Today's reverse. I think parents say you're punished. Go outside and play. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's interesting. So I want to know, you got another 700 home runs with that plastic bat to go with the major league home runs? Uh, you know, the thing is, we we were very, um, you know, lower to lower middle, middle class in economics, right? We we didn't have a lot of uh, resources, but you know, the thing about sports is you get to come home every night uh, after going to school, after playing sports, and I used to put on WOR. It was the cable network back in those days. We had three TVs that were regular on TV. Number one, you had the New York Mets. Uh, you had the Braves and WTBS, and then you had uh, Harry Carey and the Cubs and WGN. And uh, I would come home every night and watch the Mets, and they had a, they had the great 80s team with Strawberry and Keith Hernandez and Doc Gooden. So regardless of what was happening in our, in, in our world, every night I came home, I was filled, I was happy, and I felt pretty rich because watching baseball every night is pretty cool. Yeah. Hey, a lot of people don't know you were a pretty good quarterback as a young person. Uh, you ever think about tracking uh, all the way through in football or was it a baseball love from from the start? You know, early on, I played all three sports and I always advocate for young kids today. The more sports, sports, the better. It seems like kids are getting way too hyper focused on just one sport. And I think that's just simply a mistake. Um, football and basketball uh, were really great teachers to me. They developed a lot of my soft skills and hard skills. And uh, they were really helpful, not only in life, but, you know, getting stronger in football, mentally and physically stronger and tougher. All those things applied really well. And they carried over to my baseball game. But, you know, there was a time there when I was about 12 years old that I was so into the NBA. And that was the, the golden era of Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and the great rivalry of those two markets, Boston, L.A., uh, that I wanted to, you know, quit baseball and football and just focus on basketball. And, uh, you know, one day my mom uh, didn't go to work and she called for a meeting, which to me was a very serious thing because my mom never missed work. And it was a very uh, presidential meeting. And I was nervous. <laughs> Hands were sweating. And she basically did something very clever. I mean, she was, uh, I guess she has a little legal background in her because she pulled out two rosters and she made a really powerful uh demonstration and she showed me the nba roster and you know there was a bunch of names hundreds of names there 
And then she gave me a, a yellow marker and she said, take your time. I felt like I was taking an SAT. <laughs> she said, take your time and highlight all the Dominican names. And I said, they could be like you, she said. They could be Dominican, but born in America with a Dominican background. And I said, okay, great, that opens it up. And I spent about 25 minutes, I mean, every word I read. And after 20 minutes, I said, okay, uh, I can't find one. And then she hands me another uh, list of papers, like a lawyer, uh, and I'm up at the stand. And she says, now, Dominican MLB baseball, you know, start marking uh, some of the Dominican players you found. And I, you know, after 100, I said, okay, mom, I get it. What's your point? She goes, you have baseball in your blood. We're Dominican and you should not quit baseball. And the next day I was back in the baseball field and uh, the rest is history. What a powerful lesson. Uh, so you got mom to thank for all those home runs and those MVPs. And so talk about when you broke into the league, you know, your age and where, where were you at? Um, just for, the, for our listeners and, and those that can view this, um, talk a little bit about the early days in, in, uh, in your professional baseball career. Yeah, so I grew up in Miami, and Miami is wholly different than it is today. Um, it, it was obviously much smaller um, and uh, not as kind of a, a global city, but I went to a small um, high school called Westminster Christian. There was about 300 people in the, in the high school, and uh, it was a little bit like Duke. I mean, we were, we were small but mighty in baseball, and we traveled all over the state of Florida, all over the country, uh, playing teams that wanted to play against us. A lot of the big schools in Miami didn't want to play against us um, in, in fear that we would beat them. And we were the, the, you know, David Goliath. We were always David. Um, but my junior year, we won the national championship. Uh, we had uh, 10 players from that team have division one scholarships and, and four or five played in the major leagues and uh, pretty incredible. Uh, 1993, I get drafted number one in the country by, uh, by the Seattle Mariners. And I signed that contract and off I went. I was 17, went to prom. A few months after prom, I found myself as an 18-year-old, uh, a skinny 18-year-old at Fenway Park, uh, playing the Red Sox and facing Roger Clemens. And I can tell you, Glenn, that was a big contrast between the 300 people that used to watch us play at Westminster versus the 40,000 people at Fenway Park. Yeah, how about that? I mean, every kid's dream, right? And right after prom, not a bad story to tell. And I want to know if you got a hit off of Roger in that first couple of tries. I did not. I did not. <laughs> but I put the ball in play. And to me, that was a moral victory because, of course, I came up as one of Roger's biggest fans. Yeah, no kidding. What a, what a hurler. That guy could fire it. So um, talk about um, Minneapolis. You, know, you mentioned you know you had a little fondness for the town. You'd been coming through here in your baseball seasons for years and years, um, and we really went through it, right? So here we are in May of 2020. George Floyd Floyd is murdered, and we have um, all of a sudden find ourselves at the doorstep of a global epicenter uh, in racial and social justice. Incredible dialogue, and you know our hope here at the Y is that that dialogue continues and that we continue to make. Uh, traction in equity and inclusion and bringing all of our community along. But talk about the Minneapolis you knew when you were playing and then the Minneapolis coming out of that, uh, that madness in the summer of 20. And where are we now? Yeah, look, Minneapolis is a place that I've always really, really enjoyed. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, my father only saw me play four games in my entire career. 
And uh, that was about 15 years ago. I, I chose uh, Minnesota specifically because it's a place that I felt good. Uh, I trusted the people. Uh, they were very respectful. And it was a wonderful four games. Um, I think I was so inspired um, and probably a little upset and a chip on my shoulder that I had one of the best four game series of my career. And uh, it was a fond memory. My father's no longer here. He passed uh, a few years ago. Um, but Minnesota is a place that I always enjoyed coming. I love the restaurants, love the lakes in the summertime and uh, really enjoyed the people. And uh, I think one of the things that people don't understand is how loyal people in Minnesota are. When you're from Minnesota, you really don't leave. And if you leave, you always come back. Um, is also one of the richest corporate markets in the U.S. is a real gem with almost 20 Fortune 100 companies that sit right there in the Minneapolis ecosystem. And obviously with the whole George Floyd uh, situation, it was one of the saddest moments really in American history when you think about the impact of, uh, of what that made. And conversation has obviously turbocharged because of George, but I think we still have a long ways to go. And I think as owners of the Minnesota Timberwolves, and the links, we have a, a grand opportunity uh, to continue to mend and help people heal, but also extend and uh, and do some good things to bring you know communities together. Yeah, oh, I love that vision, and and we're thinking the same thing. You know, the YMCA here across our region really focused on cultural competence, equity leadership, and how do we bring all of our community to a new perspective to embrace everybody. You know, every human being and all their richness and value. So I really appreciate your vision there. So would you mind sharing, like how has race shown up for you in your life, either as a young person in some of the environments you lived in? How did it show up in the MLB? What did that look like? And how do you see race showing up across our country now? You know, the one thing I will say is, you know, race sits in the middle of, of everything, not only in this country, but all over the world. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I'm really, really grateful for is to be involved in sports at a professional level for now over 30 years with my work with ESPN and Fox. But what's interesting about sports and music in a world that's, you know, so divided, sports and music brings people together. And when you're an athlete and you're part of a team and you wear a uniform, uh, the name of the team always goes in the front. The name of yourself goes in the back. It's for a reason. The team is everything and the value that you bring into that clubhouse, into that team, into that culture was everything. So in sports, it was less about you know, race and about you know, what kind of teammate are you? So I was very fortunate there. Um, as far as in the business community, I've been very fortunate to carry on from my baseball career into the business world and, and you know, play at the highest level. And I think Glenn, for someone like me, is not enough for me to be in the boardroom and be a part of it. It's my responsibility to keep that door open and bring others with me, you know, women, men of color, uh, Latino men, and, and everybody, because the world is better when you have more inclusion. Yeah. Thank you for that, uh, that leadership lesson as well. I mean, this is an environment where there's so much leadership potential that's untapped in our communities, right? And, and we've got to break down some of these structures and systems where we've held certain of our, of our leaders back, certain of our community back. And so I really appreciate that. How has it been raising daughters uh, amidst you being in this spotlight, you know, a mega star on the field, and now you've got all this exposure as a TV personality, 
Um, talk about being a dad and what's it, what that's been like being in a bright light. Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that makes you uh, a great leader sometimes is, for me anyways, has been how much I failed. And, uh, mm. you know, I failed in life and sports. Uh, I've had my fair share of controversies. But through it all, Glenn, I feel like you look back with some perspective and sometimes you cringe. Um, sometimes you take those and they become huge lessons, learning lessons. And for me as a father, uh, I get to share those stories with my daughters. And we, we've incorporated a breakfast club, which is 90 minutes on Saturdays with no phones, uh, no electronics, just old school hardball conversation. And they get to ask me anything. I get to ask them and it is this kind of three-way flow. Um, and a lot of these conversations are based a big portion of them with my failures and some of my, my tough times. They need to know and understand that it's okay to fail. And the key is not about failing. The key is about getting back up and having a perspective and having an attitude. And I always tell my girls, you know, in the craziest of times, the one that stays calm and cool and keeps moving forward is the one that ultimately triumphs at the end. It's not about reacting. It's not about like ego. You know, ego kills all men, all men, right? If you can just diminish the ego as much as possible every single day. I'm actually saying a prayer when I wake up in the morning. In my prayer, trying to diminish my ego every day and to make decisions based on what's good for the long run. Um, it's easier said than done, Glenn, but at 46 today, it's easier today than at 36, 26, and 16. So those are the kind of fun things. And then you got to spend the time with people. It can't just be, um, you know, I'm a father or I'm a leader. Like it's important that I'm at dinner every night with my girls. And I co-parent with Cynthia, who's an incredible mother and has a background in psychology. And, and for me with my team here, it's important for me to be here, walk the walk every day, and then teach people how to win. Explain to them why you're doing things. You know, back in the day, uh, you used to be, uh, you know, Pat Riley with X's and O's, right? Uh, today, you have to go X's and O's and Y. It's important to tell the young people today why you're doing something. It's not just enough to say, hey, do it my way. We're not dictators. Here's what we're thinking. Here's why we're doing it. And then if you do that and you make them inclusive and collaborative, I think you get so much more out of people than you would if you just dictate. Yeah. Excellent. So um, as a also as a child of the Larry Bird and Magic Johnson era, loved that era of the NBA. And now it's fun to see all these mega stars doing amazing things on the court as you're kind of immersing yourself more deeply and more deeply into the NBA. Um, just share a little bit with us. How um, how does it differ from the MLB? What um, what excites you about the future of this particular franchise and and uh, where do you see the future of the Timberwolves headed? Yeah, first of all, I think there's a lot of similarities between the two sports. Um, you know, they're global sports. They have an incredible fan base and great history. Um, you know, what I've learned with uh, with the NBA is that uh, we're only as good as our leader. And, and thank, thankfully for us that we have a great leader in Adam Silver. Um, he's got a great staff and, and they work very well with the owners, but also with the players. And what I've learned is you know, the NBA has one thought and one thought only. Let's grow the pie as big as possible, and we split it right down the middle. So it's this incredible collab collaborative partnership that works really well. Um, there's not much labor talks that goes on, and uh, it's a really it's a great system. Um, and, and, and that's been fun to watch firsthand. 
I think baseball, you know, thank goodness they took care of the the strike and uh, and the work stoppage. And I think, you know, the future is very bright. When you look at the three sports, baseball is in the golden age of young talent. There may never be this group of talent, um, you know, curated. Uh, in my lifetime, I've never seen it, and I don't think we'll see it again. So I think baseball has this incredible opportunity coming fresh off this new agreement that let's start telling the stories, let's start taking the helmets and revealing who these young men are. Uh, they're not only great players, they're great people. They want to be great investors. They're good family people. And they want to be they want to be stars as well. I think when you think about the NBA, the most popular player arguably is, say, LeBron James uh, and Steph Curry. LeBron James has over 100 million followers on, on Instagram. If you think about Major League Baseball, Mike Trout may be the, the highest, and he's about 2 million. So there's uh, over 98 million delta there. And to me, that's not sad. That's all upside. And if I was Major League Baseball, I would be really chopping at the bit to say, how do we start closing that gap? Can we be with the most popular player in Major League Baseball at 30 million, 40 million in say 10 or 15 years? Well, what do we have to start doing today? Let's work backwards. Yeah, you know, the NBA has done such an incredible job from a marketing and brand perspective, hasn't it? And you're right, there's a lot of lessons there. And I think about that even from the context of the why. How do we help the community understand what the YMCA is up to in social outreach, social impact, equity-based training, all the youth sports? You talked about a really powerful lesson early that we've specialized these young kids, right? And all of a sudden, they're, we're expecting them to be expert in one thing at the fourth or fifth grade. Um, and they burn out. They don't have the rich experience across different coaching interaction and different team interaction, et cetera. And so really impressive leadership lesson there. You know, before we wrap up, I would love to get a sense from you. First of all, I got to hook up with you at a Timberwolves game at some point. I'm going to track you down and, and mark down at some point when you're in Minneapolis, um, hopefully down this playoff stretch. But in the meantime, Alex, what gives you hope? What is it uh, as you look out at a lot of global unrest, uh, a lot of collateral damage from this pandemic. Um, and now we're heading into hopefully a new era of positivity and, and good energy getting through. Um, what gives you hope? You know, I think America is the greatest country in the world. I think this is a resilient people, great people here. And, you know, it's interesting when I think about 9-11 and post 9-11, uh, I've never seen this country more connected and more inspired. Um, it wasn't about red or blue. It was about red, white, and blue and being a great American. Um, over the last few years, I've seen that go the other way where I've seen, I've never seen, seen it more divided. Uh, I think sports and music has an opportunity to bring people together. But if we look at what's happening in Russia and Ukraine, if we look at George Floyd, if we look at about, you know, having to overcome one of the worst world pandemics of my lifetime and probably over the last century with, with, with this uh, disease, that we have an opportunity to come together and take small steps at being kinder to each other, being more patient, being a little bit less reactive. And you know, when I think about hiring people at AROC Corp, I look for three things, IQ, EQ, and LQ. And LQ means love. You have to come at it with passion, love, and compassion. And I think if you do that, if we can do that every single day, America will continue to be the greatest country in the world. Uh, Minnesota will be one of the greatest states in the world. And I'm very bullish Minnesota. I'm very bullish America. And I'm, I'm looking forward to the future.
Hmm. That lesson right there, right? IQ, EQ, and the love quotient. I love that. We've spent a lot of time talking about loving our team members and loving our community at the Y. And Alex Rodriguez, man, this has been a pleasure for me as a lifelong baseball and basketball fan. Uh, what a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Glenn. Let's do it again. And you can be my guest at a, a Timberwolves game anytime or the Lynx. That sounds good. Both sound great to me. With two kids that play, my daughter played and wrapped her career up recently. My son's still playing, so we're all in. Sounds great, Alex. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for Conversations On, where the YMCA of the North engages with local and national leaders, helping to inspire you.